Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? Welcome back to Rider on the Road. This is part two with my interview with the beautiful Tina Dietz. Now, hello, Tina. Hello, my dear. It's good to be back with you. Yeah. Now, Tina and I, I asked Tina back today because we had such an interesting conversation last time and I was very, very keen to pick her brain, actually use and abuse her to learn how to narrate my novel, The Miner's Wife. And we've just had a little pre uh, I guess, pre-recording conversation where Tina laughed at me and said, well, that's my job and I get paid to do that, so I'm not telling you anything. So our conversation <laughs> today is <laughs> my job is to get as much out of I'm Tina so as mean. I can <laughs> and for Tina to resist as much as she can. Uh, but we're going to learn everything that Tina's got to tell us about ebooks and audiobooks and how to get them out in the big wide world because that's what Tina does best. But she's also, don't forget, she's an expert narrator and this is where I'm going to try and sneak under the radar and get a few tips. So, <laughs> Tina, tell us what you do and what your business does, um, Start Something Creative Biz, in relation to helping us get our audiobooks out in the big wide world. Oh boy. Well, I'm I'm kind of the the queen of leveraging things creatively. So, and this is really because I got really tired uh in my business of always creating something new. I'm a huge I'm always trying to create something new. I can't actually help it. But when you're doing that and you're trying to make money on that, it can get really exhausting. So, uh I really turned my attention to how can I help myself and and by example, how can I help other people take the brilliant work that they already have and really make the most of it? Because every time we generate a product like a book or a course or whatever the case may be, uh, you end up having to create a lot of the infrastructure to go with it. Like how do you get it out to the world? And that is where a lot of creative people and a lot of entrepreneurs get tripped up in those details and in that muck of technology. So what I strive to do is to alleviate those barriers and get rid of those aggravations so that creative people can do what they do best. They can connect, they can teach, they can inform, they can inspire, and they don't have to worry about it because we're using other people's platforms and other people's audiences and other people's tools to get our work out into the world. And so my uh, favorite medium is audio. So I tend to focus on folks helping them with their podcast production and launch, and also even more so their audiobook production and launch. And, uh, and many times we end up doing other work too around different forms of marketing strategy. Uh, I really just want to see people be creatively free. Uh, now, is that not a lady after my own heart? Now, Tina, I am starting my year of living creatively in three weeks' time. So I've got the whole of next year to be impoverished and loving my life and living creatively. <laughs> and I, I like, love to help you um, leverage 
all things creative because that sounds really exciting. Uh, Yeah. Now tell us, um, if I took my book, The Miner's Wife, to you and said, please, um, I'm going to hire you to put this thing out there in the big wide world, what would be the process? Yeah, uh, that is really what what we do is we first have to evaluate the book. So you have a novel and so that requires a little less evaluation than a nonfiction book. Um, so what we would do is, is basically have a, a strategy conversation about your audience or who you think your audience is uh, and all the assets and strengths that you have. Uh, for example, your podcast and um, your contacts, the ways you like to connect with people, all of those things. We're basically going to create a strategy from there that is going to have you feel good about being out in the world with your book. Now, this is all, of course, in the case of, of self-publishing. Um, and then what we do is um, make sure that we get you the right narrator for your book. There's a couple of steps that go into that process. Um, and then I would curate those auditions and send you the best ones, making sure that everything was up to the right standards. That's really important. And then you get to pick the narrator that is um, most aligned with how you feel the voice of the book should be. And so while we're uh, producing your audiobook, um, you know, authors come to me in one of two places. They come to me when they want to revive an old title that they maybe launched anywhere from six months to 10 years ago, it could be, or further, uh, or they're launching a new book and they want to pair uh, a launch with, uh, have a really robust launch, as well as have their audiobook as part of that launch, because uh, audiobooks have the added bonus of extending the life of your launch and giving people a format that they're really, really hungry for. Uh, audiobooks outsell ebooks three to one. So that's kind of the first section of, of the process there. So I'm going to pause for a second and see if you have any questions about that before I move on to part two. Yeah, part one, it's, it's got me curious because I know audiobooks went through this huge, uh, I guess, gain in audience when Audible, you know, took over the market. Then, Correct. Then um, the, uh, what is it, um, people's profits dropped and it wasn't as profitable because Audible took more money or something like that. Uh, do you reckon it's regaining ground because of the popularity of podcasts and people can listen and do other things at the same time? Yeah, it's 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 a multifold. One is that audio has never really gone away. It's It's been with us longer than written words. <laughs> we are so wired for story, so deeply wired for story that we're always attracted to audio. So both podcasts and audiobooks have risen up, um, our resurgence really, because if you think about it, in the earlier part of the 20th century, what did people do? They listened to the radio. They were glued to the radio. Uh, they looked forward to their shows and everything. And then TV came around. Well, now we're kind of coming back to audio uh, in its popularity because we're always in motion. And now we have accessibility to podcasts and audiobooks because we can put everything on our phones and we have this enormous amount of memory on our phones to listen to things. So we're just listening everywhere. And so people can easily listen while they're driving or listen while they're in the gym or on the subway or in any situation where you can't 
necessarily be reading text or watching video. Yeah, I'm finding, Tina, I've um, been off the last few days um, due to me doing something really silly and straining my shoulder and neck and I had to have two days off oh, school. Oh, dear. Oh, it was great. I had didn't have to go anywhere for two whole days. Um, mm-hmm. but, but what I noticed was I didn't have, I didn't listen to any podcasts because I do all my listening to and from school. And mm-hmm. at home, I don't watch any TV or anything like that, but I missed my uh, audio fix and I thought, isn't it interesting I've become so addicted to audio nowadays that it is it is that big swing back to you know life before um television isn't it yeah it we are creatures of habit and um i don't know if you're familiar with the website quora which is kind of a question and answer website but um many times i'll go in or i'll i'll be requested to answer questions about audiobooks or i'll go in and see if there's anyone i can help and the question, one of the questions that comes up about Audible or a complaint about Audible is that people want to want uh, more credits uh, per month. They actually want to be purchasing more audiobooks per month because they tend to go through them so quickly. And that reflects in the numbers, too. I mean, um, here in, in, uh, in the U.S., the average person reads about a dozen books a year, but the average audiobook listener listens to about double that. Yeah, and I think those figures are really, really exciting. And I know they're talking about um, uh, new technology in cars where they just can stream live into cars and all that kind of stuff. Oh, totally. Yeah, and I know a lot of the guys that I listen to, um, John Lee Dumas and all those kinds of guys, they get really excited about the future of audio. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited about the future of audio because I love my podcast and I'm not as interested or as good at the technical parts, which um, I know I get in trouble from in certain spheres, but I love being able to talk to you guys. It just excites me that I can talk to people all around the world and have these conversations with experts like you. And that just wasn't possible once upon a time. That's very true. It's very, very true. And and as such, you know, particularly with audio, not only is it more accessible, but the production costs have gone down tremendously, tremendously. It costs half now of what it cost seven years ago to produce an audio book. Yeah. Now we were talking. There's not too many things about that. <laughs> yeah. We were talking. Um, we're talking a little bit. I don't know where I came up with the price three thousand dollars. I think I listened to Kevin Tumlinson, and he had a narrator mm-hmm. for his his novel, and he was very happy um, with the um, with the quality of it, and you know the time that it took. And I know Joanna Penn has done some of her own, and I think um, she yes. said it just took forever. Um, yeah. And and the knowledge that is needed. And I thought, oh no, I'll just come along and I'll just turn on my microphone and I'll just I'll just talk. It'll be easy. Um, you reckon it's pie in the sky, don't you? <laughs> I don't. I don't tend to recommend it. I don't tend to recommend it. There are uh, certain audio settings you have to have. Um, you'd certainly want to have um, a higher quality of audio than you would for than is really the bare minimum for podcasting. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean an expensive microphone. It just means there's a certain level of attention to detail. But audiobooks require a level of focus that takes practice like you're training for something, especially with novels. It's actually much easier to narrate a nonfiction book than a fiction book, and that has to do with characters. Uh, when you listen to an audiobook narrator narrate a book with a number of characters, they actually go through the book and they mark the pages in this special way where any of those characters show up. And they actually have to practice and remember how to do those characters. And they use a technique called what's called punch recording. 
that allows them to kind of pause and back up and fix mistakes seamlessly as they go along. And in that way, uh, along with the microphone technique and the breath technique that they've learned and a certain amount of stamina you build up, then you uh, it takes about five hours to produce one hour of finished audio. So if you, that's for a professional. She's, she's wondering why I'm paused here, everybody. It's because I'm writing this stuff down because she wasn't going <laughs> to tell me anything. And I have got some tips for us now, guys. And my biggest tip is let's all go to Tina and get her to do it for us because it's going to be a darn sight easier. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've got to tell you that my daughter, I think I may have mentioned in our last interview that she does theatre and I've borrowed out several books on voice acting. And one of the very first things that my daughter's been trying to teach me is to teach from deep within my diaphragm, is it? Somewhere down there, yes. somewhere around my tummy. Absolutely. And, and she says, no, mummy, no, mummy, start again. And she makes me stand up and she makes me shake, shake around and she makes me mm-hmm. um, get into that, I guess, place where, where my voice is coming deep from in, within me. And I just said, can't I just read it? She said she can, but you sound terrible. <laughs> Well, there is a difference between listening to somebody on a podcast. And there are some podcasts out there where people have voices that are challenging to listen to. There's just certain tones and timbers of voice that the human brain will react better to than others. And part of that is going to be very personal. And part of that is going to just be wiring. Um, and, And there's research and studies that actually show that. Deeper voices are are tend to be perceived as more trustworthy. So, you know, kind of going on to the podcasting leadership side of things, if we don't have naturally deep voices, then it's not a matter of deepening our voice, you know, falsely. It's a matter of using then the other factors that go into creating our our tone, our um, our our well, let's see, what are some of the other factors? Tempo is a big one. Sonority is another uh, big one. Flow, which I did a really horrible job of demonstrating just a second ago, is another one. (laughs) Uh, And so on and so forth. So uh, those are things we take a look at when we're we're doing voice. But audiobooks in particular, and I'm glad your daughter's showing you these things, it always begins with the breath. Any type of speaking always begins with the breath and practicing breathing, yogic breathing, any yogic breathing techniques are wonderful for this. Uh, getting really in touch, getting in touch with your torso, getting in touch with your rib cage, with your throat, becoming familiar with how uh, the throat and the tongue and everything are all attached. It's fascinating. It's really fascinating. And uh, you can get, of course, very deeply into it. But if you're going to, you know, narrate your own book and kind of do it one time, um, you could definitely do it as a passion project. Uh, but I would make sure that you get some coaching around doing that and also make sure that you send a completed file of, the, say, chapter one to a professional editor to evaluate to make sure that all your settings are correct before you go any further and do the whole book. I've unfortunately had a couple folks come to me who went ahead and narrated their entire books and are so excited and, oh, I just want you to publish them. And they're not only uh, somewhat unlistenable, but they were just recorded at the wrong rate and the wrong speed and the wrong setting. So I literally cannot upload them or offer them up to Audible. Well, you know what I've got to say here, Tina? You know I'm going to say it, don't you? What, dear? You are my expert. 
<laughs> so you will get my chapter. Uh, look, I, th- I think it's so exciting, everybody, because not many people want to do this. But once you master a skill like this, people will come to you, I'm guessing. Like I've got my young writers that I'm mentoring who are going to be reliant on me to do this thing and my daughter to do this thing. And it won't go outside our community at this stage, but it is very exciting to think that if we could get it right, then um, it's it's certainly another another thing to add to our entrepreneurial um, bag of tricks. Uh, I should imagine that, being as old as I am, like twenty three, that I've probably left it fairly late to start this thing. Oh, well, maybe, maybe not. It might just be simpler, like I said, to to work with a narrator and. You know, people ask me a lot, well, should I narrate my own book? And I oftentimes will tell them that it's actually not the best question to ask. A better question to ask is, is there any advantage to me narrating my own book? Because if you're talking about um, time, it's certainly not an advantage of time. If you're talking about money, it's certainly not an advantage in financially to do it that way because the amount of time you're going to take is going to cost you money and you're still going to have to hire an editor uh, when all is said and done, unless, of course, you want to go through that learning curve as well. Uh, and then and then it. ultimately, ultimately, um, it you're not going to see how much of a difference in sales because most folks, especially for fiction will choose a professionally narrated book over an author narrated book. Very, very few uh, fiction off, uh, fiction books are narrated by the author. I would say less than 1%. Okay. Nonfiction is a different story. I'm just writing this down. I think, I think what Tina has just given us is is our takeaway point from this like this podcast and and the last one as well an audience will choose a professional narrator over an amateur or over the author any time and that sums it up for me Tina because we want to be professional and we hire book cover guys we hire editors for our books why mm-hmm. on earth would we do this part of it ourselves you've just shot my dreams down in flames child well, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you some hope. I'll give you some hope. Um, if here's the thing, because here's the other thing about um, being international, as we are in the scope of podcasts. This is an important point for people to understand. You can. There is a common back end to Audible, Amazon, and iTunes to produce your audiobook and even to work with narrators, and that's called ACX.com. It stands for audiobookcreationexchange.com. However, that platform is only open if you are based in the U.S. or the U.K. Don't ask me why. It's an Amazon thing. And so that's one of the things that we do is we actually have created a workaround to allow international authors to get their audiobooks produced and published without taking their royalties. That was really important to me. I, I wanted to partner with, with another company to actually develop this part of my business. And when I went out and I started posing as a potential client to all these audio publishers and started interviewing them, I, I found that um, they really they take way too many of your royalties for what they, what they want. 
and and what they produce and what they provide. So it came it became very obvious to me that I needed to create something that was another solution um, that I felt would be an integrity with people who are creating and artists and and who really deserve to have those royalties because you work hard for them. So what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say to you now is I'm going to turn up on your doorstep with my beautiful literary romance tomb under my arm and I'm going to say, here you are, Tina. I'm going to pay you. What are you going to say to me? Well, let's take a look at your book and see if it's a good fit. Yep, that's step one. And then step that's two, step I'm, going to ha- I'm going to have to have some money in my pocket. So if I was going to say my 200-page thing, and I know you can't give an exact price, but I yeah, have I a Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to have a few. I need a. I've got a few dollars in my pocket. I can't do this thing myself. I go to you. What? How? How long is it going? How long are we going to be working together before I have my little audio under my arm to sell in my Christmas stocking next Christmas? (laughs) I like. Yeah, exactly. I like to leave three months for production. Because that allows any time for anyone to have any personal fires happen in their life and still get it done. Um, And it's, you know, any technical things that might happen for the author or communication issues, people traveling. I like to leave a three-month time frame uh, and that way there's no panic. And I would rather get it to you sooner and have you be extra delighted than overpromise and, you know, say, oh, I can get it to you in 30 days and then you'd be disappointed. So I like to set those expectations up to be very clear right from the get go. And, you know, the truth of the matter is for most authors, uh, you know, you you think you're going to launch your book in 30 days. And then you find out all the things that you didn't think about doing for your launch. And then it ends up being, you know, four to six months later. Which is okay, because anything worth doing is worth doing well, and your work deserves to be treated well and and handled with kid gloves and, and brought out to the world in a really great way. So after um, the part one that I talked about earlier, which is where you know we get your narrator on board and we make sure that that narrator is performing the book the way you want it performed, because it is a performance. Uh, And once we get all those bells and whistles tied up, then the narrator and I will go ahead and produce the entire rest of the book together. You don't have to do anything in that process. So we make sure that everything is word perfect and consistent and in within the guidelines that you want. And then at the end, we deliver your book for a final. You get to sit back and listen to it. And then you say, yay, I love my book. And then we put, publish it out to Audible, Amazon, and iTunes, and that shows up for you automatically. And then if you're outside, if you're inside the U.S. and the U.K., those your royalties and your all your money comes right directly to you. If you're an international author, then we distribute your royalties back to you quarterly, and that makes it just really clean and nice, and uh, everybody's happy. It's it's actually um, there's a lot of little details, devils in the details. But that is kind of the big chunks as a author would experience it. And marketing. Um, I've just, as you know, I've just finished this wonderful, brilliant um, teenage mentoring online novel writing course. And mm-hmm. I am just shocked that I have so much, so much, so much marketing to do that I actually should have started that three months ago. And it's going to take me another <laughs> six months to get up to speed on that. And like you said, 
I'm not overly fussed because if it's worth doing, it's worth doing properly and this course I'm hoping will will um, help young people for many years to come and will adjust it. But that whole marketing arm of that, do you help authors with that part? Yes, we do actually. And uh, it, it's kind of funny because I had designed a package to help people launch their audiobooks, specifically thinking that uh, it would be for people who had already launched their book and now wanted to launch, have a secondary launch, basically either months or years after their main launch. Because one of the things I love about audiobooks, I'm probably repeating myself here, is that it extends the life of your launch. And you can use it in, in various ways, um, just like you can use your book in various ways and you can, everything kind of tag teams off of each other. But in terms of uh, the marketing side of things, I had a client come to me um, and she said, well, you're going to be creating my emails and you're going to be creating all my social media posts and all the images that go with that. Those are some of the things that we do. She goes, can't I just use those for my book? And then when we get to the audiobook part of the launch, just change the word book to audiobook. And I sat back and I said, yeah, he's really <laughs> So that shifted things considerably. And uh, now we have um, had a really lovely experience because uh, my approach to things is both doing things to done for you, like the audiobook, the email copy, the web, you know, the, the social media posts, but also helping the author to pull their resources together. We take what's called a launch team approach, which is where you gather together your colleagues, your friends, your family. I actually show you how to put all this together and I give you the tools to do it. And you basically gather this team together that is going to be out helping you promote your book. And it both helps to keep your cost down as well as boost your credibility because there's no substitute for word of mouth. Absolutely none. We also put together a curated list of recommended websites and we give you tools to show you how to pitch yourself as a guest on not websites, podcasts, uh, and how to get onto podcasts. And we show you how to do that too. Uh, so I should be getting pitches any day now. <laughs> 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 I live in eternal hope, everybody. Uh, it's interesting because what you're saying makes an awful lot of sense because that's what people do with books anyway. And it's always yes. shot me in the foot because I don't have any friends. It's very sad. And we keep hitting up on my oh, daughter's friends. <laughs> so I say, quick, girls, can you go out and sell this course for me? I don't know anybody. Uh, but I do notice that social social media actually opens up a whole new world of friendship because I'm, I'm guessing even on my Facebook um group that I, I consider a lot of those people my friends now and people listening to this podcast they become bits of friends so you do build up a network don't you you do and and past guests on your show are actually a great resource to make requests to be on your launch team ah, uh when you yes Tina, absolutely Tina. so I could tap into your network <laughs> And, excuse me, Tina, will you launch my book all over the world? See, this has, I do that quite often. Yeah, yeah, we have connections, everybody. We go straight to the top on this podcast. Um, question for you. My book is an outback Australian romance, and I know I've got a lot of rural romance um, authors and readers who, who listen to some of my brilliant guests here. How would you go about finding a narrator to do outback Australia? 
Oh, I have Australian narrators. Absolutely. I have, I have narrators from all over the world. I've got about 150 narrators who I have directly uh, in, my, in my tribe, and then I have access to 4,000 more. So finding a particular accent, um, I usually, when I go after accents, I say they must be native speakers. They must at least be from that country. Although I have had a couple people fool me and actually fool the author as well, some really talented actors. Um, so we go, we go right after the specific tone and accent, timber, cadence, performance that we're looking for. It's really no different than, you know, casting a part in a play or a movie. Yeah, I've got a funny story, and I'm going to share this with you, Tina, because I know you'll appreciate it. Uh, when we were looking for the intro music to this podcast, I went to the mob that someone recommended to me, and you pay, you know, £100, and they do all your intro for you. And it had a list of voices that you could choose from. And you were supposed to listen to them all and choose the one that suited you. And I went, oh, I don't care. I haven't got time for that. I don't care which one I have. So I just pressed someone called Mac. Now, Mac sounds like a pretty nice, solid name. <laughs> so anyway, this beautiful intro came back and it was Afro-American. <laughs> and it was <laughs> totally, totally unusable for for a Queensland Australia podcast. So we had to get my daughter's friend to, to do our intro for us. But it was the funniest experience. That's a and great we, story. Yeah, we've, still, we've still got it. And I thought, there you go, everybody. There is a lesson to be learned to make sure you get the right voice for the task all right so i asked tina on here this morning and i was determined to pick her brain and get tips um i am now completely turned about as tina knew i would i'm not interested in getting tips anymore i'm interested in <laughs> tina doing all the work for me <laughs> uh, Yay, freedom yeah so is there anything we haven't covered Oh, let's see. Huh, I'm sure that there is in, in one sense or another. Um, you know, actually, I do want to say one thing about book marketing. And that is that I think most authors, because we're creative people, and I think I alluded to this in the beginning, uh, we're often on to the next project when we don't really do our current work justice. And I see this certainly a lot in uh, in the nonfiction world, but I'd be willing to bet it holds through for the fiction world as well. You know, we, we have the kind of the energy to do this big push when we launch something out at the beginning. And then personally, we start to fizzle. Our energy starts to fizzle and we lose the vision of it. Well, sometimes it's okay to let that project go, but I find that many more times there's so much more that could be done with that product or project that the author just kind of feels done with and, and it really does them a disservice, both from the sense of uh, income as well as audience and influence. So um, I'll use a nonfiction example here. Are you familiar with Stephen Covey, Covey and the Seven Habits of Highly Successful People? Oh, we love the Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Okay. That was my Bible when I was It's 30. a great book, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, well, how many books does Stephen Covey write? I don't know any of his other ones. He, he wrote a bunch, right? But we don't really think about those too much because he always focused on that work. Stephen Covey took that one piece of work, those seven habits, and he turned it and twisted it and launched it and developed it into a worldwide empire of corporate training, personal training, business courses, a huge line of branded products, endless articles, blog posts. I mean, people are still talking about it. I mean, this is not new information. 
he focused on that one thing and continued to get creative with how he was going to use it and tease it apart and, and, and share that information. My children's school has a seven habits for kids program. I mean, it is endless what he developed with that. And I see, you know, no reason why we can't take a page from that, pun intended, and give ourselves the courtesy and honor ourselves and honor our work by taking a look at our work and saying, hey, this was something I really put my life's blood into. What else does it have to offer me that I can continue to use as assets in my life? Can I write articles from it? Can I pull quotes from it for social media? Can I talk about it on podcasts? Can I submit articles to the Huffington Post or other uh, media outlets, Elephant Journal? Can I guest blog on other people's outlets? And so on and so on. Can I create a journal out of it? Anything. A coloring book. So these are all things that as creators we can think about. We don't have to necessarily create something from scratch. We can fulfill our creative itch by leveraging what we already have into new um new ways of continuing to reinforce our personal brands and therefore gain more audience um, as well as income. Yeah, and it's really funny as you're saying that, Tina, because I found this exact thing with um, our teen novel writers course and I was getting a little bit frustrated because it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and we're going to have a little online magazine where all the kids contribute, they're going to edit it, it'll be up there so it creates that community for the kids. That certainly wasn't in the plan in the first place. Um, My daughter and I are now running workshops and masterclasses and we've got an annual retreat and it just goes on and on and now that I'm marketing I'm starting to put out articles and I just said to my daughter yesterday, I said this course has taken over our lives and she said, yes, mummy. She said, but you haven't got a life. That's okay. She said, can I have mine back, please? (laughs) 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 And I thought, well, yeah. So we're, um, we're discovering that we didn't mean to build our own little empire here, but you can. And I think romance authors do it very well. They build an empire out of their novels and they focus solely on, on that. And I think Harlequin does that really, really well. Um, before indie authors and indie publishers, uh, I think as an entrepreneur, that's something we should all take away. What Tina says is absolutely correct. Um, rushing on to the next project and turning out, you know, 20 books and going here, there and everywhere. Quite often, if you stop and still yourself, there are so many opportunities with that one product. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All and, right. and sometimes that's holding you over while you're creating the next thing and scratching that creative itch. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried. I think my little creative itch is going to see me working in the local tavern um, to earn a few dollars <laughs> to pay the rent. <laughs> Well, that's the other thing. It is one thing at a time, one bite of the elephant at a time. You know, you move through one phase of a launch and you learn from it and then you snowball that into your next phase. It's not a all at once, all the time to everywhere scenario. It's sending out, you know, ripples. It's sending out waves uh, of influence, little waves of sound. You know, I, I like thinking about this idea of waves as it's relaxing. Um, and you can do it over time. 
I usually recommend that folks when they're launching their book have at least three phases of their launch over, it could be a year to keep that book alive and also allow you to breathe in between. Yeah, because it, it can be very stressful. I remember I accidentally launched our course and having accidentally launched it, um, you may not have heard, but everyone else had, I decided I'd learn how to launch the course and I had a little rocket there so I hit it and the course launched. I went, okay, solves that problem. I don't have to worry about a launch anymore. It's done. Uh, but the relief um, and the pressure that was taken off by the fact that the thing had gone and now we took a step back and now we're having a launch party in another month. Oh, um, fine. Yeah, so it's a it's a more formal thing. Um, but really mm -hmm. the course was launched, you know, with um, in the middle of the night and nobody knew and I had to wake up wake up my daughters to say hey guess what and they're going mummy can you go away I mean my daughters I think when I leave home <laughs> tried to get all this done um last question because it's getting on where I've got to go to school and you've got to go and do whatever you've got to do that microphone that I saw today what yeah. were you doing Facebook Live. <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night, everybody, and there was Tina. I actually might go on and share it on my Facebook page now. Tina had this amazingly huge microphone, and she was doing something, and she was getting all these comments, and I was it was the middle of the night, and I couldn't be bothered going back and checking. So tell us all about it, Tina. What was your Facebook Live uh, about? Because the comments had me intrigued. Oh, Facebook Live. I love doing Facebook Live because I obviously love having conversations and I love getting people engaged and also sharing information. So in my own creative process, as I've been experimenting, I like to experiment with different ways to get the word out about what I do, different ways to serve people. And Facebook Live has been a really fun way to connect with people. And I've had a great response. So I've started doing them weekly. And so what I was talking about today, I'm usually discussing uh, kind of the flavor of the week. And my intention is always to leave people with a piece of knowledge and a piece of inspiration, uh, hopefully making them laugh in the way because my sense of humor is very tongue in cheek, um, verging on the, the naughty cheeky side of things. And so today I was experimenting with uh, some audio and video setups um, in the very small space that I have of my bedroom, which is really the only space I have in the house with a lot of privacy. And I'd been struggling with this... Um, not having a consistent video setup with good lighting that I could just set up quickly and jump on because I do a lot of video. Um, I do a lot of um, uh, interviews. I do a lot of group chats with, um, you know, different, differing uh, people's groups, classes, that kind of thing. So I had, uh, I was basically on sharing with people what I had learned and how I had learned it, giving them some tips and things that I had done. And the microphone is actually my professional microphone that I use for voice acting as well as for podcasting. And uh, it is, it's a blue Yeti, so it's kind of this, well, it's rather phallic, to be quite honest. And I was recording a separate audio stream to see uh, if my editor, I was going to have my editor evaluate the audio stream, to see if we could repurpose um, a piece of what I was doing on Facebook Live into a podcast. So I basically just pulled back the curtain on what I was doing to give people some ideas and show them what I had discovered so far and, and have a good time. And to me, that's, that's what it's all about. 
Yeah, and I'll share that with you now, everybody. I'll put up Tina's uh, website so you can go there and find out further information. Uh, editors to evaluate audio, I'm going to have to look into that one because that one's got me intrigued. Um, it's certainly what I need. I will be in touch next year as soon as I'm rich enough for you to, to um, organise the narration of my novel. I'm not going to do that anymore. And keep me in mind for your beta group. I think that sounds like an awful lot of fun and six months of my life. What a great way to spend it. Tina, you've been beautiful as usual. Is there any last piece of advice before I go to school? Well, actually, I wanted to offer up to your audience. I just uh, coming came out with a new resource for folks who are interested in audiobooks. So if you go to launchyouraudiobook.com, you can actually download a 12-step audiobook production checklist that I created. And then I follow up with a couple of uh, very robust articles going deeper into some of the things we just touched on today about producing, launching, and marketing your book and audiobook. Fantastic. But didn't we just agree that I'm going to get you to do all that? Well, yes, but it's still everybody should know the information about the world that they're stepping into. I don't like anybody coming and feeling like they're going. I want people to feel safe. That's I think that's so important for people to feel safe and taken care of when they're working with somebody. And uh, so if you know the process and you can kind of understand what's going on, I think it's really important whether you if you're going to decide to hand it off to somebody or not. All right. And launchyouraudiobook.com. I'll put that in the transcription notes. We'll all go and get our free checklist. Tina, you have been delightful as usual. I, I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much, my dear. Okay, and it's bye from Rider on the Road. Mm-hmm.